You have queued up The Roulette Tapes, a program of adventurous music and conversation recorded at the New York City Concert Hall, Roulette. You can hear thousands of concert recordings from Roulette's past and present and find news of upcoming events celebrating innovation and imagination at roulette.org. Aren't you curious? Welcome to another episode of The Roulette Tapes. I'm Susan James. I'll be your host. On this edition, we look at two concerts featuring trumpet player Adam O'Farrell as he breaks down his early experiences in music and his recent gigs as a sideman. He credits his grandfather, composer Chico O'Farrell, his father, pianist Arturo O'Farrell, and his mother, pianist and educator Allison Dean for encouraging him to follow in their footsteps to become one of the most sought-after musicians of his generation. He's a recipient of a Jerome Foundation commission, and Roulette is proud to present his work. We'll hear him in two settings. First, with Mary Halverson and her project Amaryllis and Belladonna, and we'll also hear him with Jen Xu. Here's Adam O'Farrell. Adam O'Farrell. I am a composer and trumpet player from Brooklyn, New York. My, my earliest musical memories were probably being surrounded by my grandfather's big band, which my father would come to lead at a certain point, and, you know, being surrounded by lots of brass and percussion and, and sort of a very big sound and kind of sitting as a, as a little kid in the back with the trumpet players and, and just watching everything kind of unfold. father was a composer and arranger who came up in, well, he, was, he, was, he moved to New York from Cuba when he was in his 20s, which was in the early to mid-40s, and he composed uh, <clears throat> one of the most seminal works of big band, uh, you know, the big band canon, the jazz canon, the uh, Afro-Latin music canon, which is the Afro-Cuban jazz suite, and that featured Charlie Parker uh, and Flip Phillips with Machito's Orchestra. The piece, you know, it has a lot of elements going on, elements of, 
you know, jazz and bebop, you know, especially it's very emblematic of the time and the way it deals with those elements of bebop and, and you know, through Bird's presence, it also has elements of Cuban music and rhythms and, and um, but also has a lot of elements of, of classical music, like Western classical music, people like Stravinsky, who was a very big influence on my grandfather and also just in the nature of the piece itself, it has the way it unfolds. It unfolds like a narrative in a way that a lot of Western classical, you know, sym symphonic works unfold. My dad followed in his father's footsteps and became a pianist and composer himself. He uh, he's done a lot of different things. He you know he came up playing jazz, uh, jazz piano. You know, one of his first experiences was playing in this rap with his rap artist or hip hop. I mean. I wasn't. I don't know if they were even sure what to call it back then, but this uh, this band called J. Walter Negro and the Loose Joints, and yeah, I think he did that when he was 17, and then shortly after he was picked up by uh, the amazing Carla Blay to join her band. He started touring with her before he turned 20. That was very very uh, important experience for him, just in learning about character and humor and theatricality. Uh, which I think are qualities that persist in his music, you know, today. And, and then my mom is a classical pianist. She's been playing piano since she was six. Had this uh, sort of prodigious moment in her early career where she played Carnegie Hall when she was like eight or nine. And she she taught at City College for over 30 years. And uh, one of the experiences I really tre treasure about growing up in a house that I grew up in was hearing her practice the uh, Gershwin preludes. Like, I, I remember Zach, my brother, and I would, would just, like, sit, like, we'd ask her to play them for us, you know, and we'd just sit on the couch and listen, like, in awe, and, like, you know, that piece, I mean, there's a couple of those preludes which are very, very, uh, very pianistic and, and, and very flashy, so it was always really fun to, like, just watch her crush it every time. I actually began on piano. My mom thinks it was when I was five, but I think it was when I was six. And I studied classical piano. I actually like wrote my first song like within the first year I started playing piano. It was this song called Agent O, which kind of was like a riff on like a Mission Impossible kind of thing, you know. Shortly thereafter, I, I picked up trumpet at eight. Me picking up trumpet, I think, was brought on by a couple of things, one of which was very simply that I saw my brother's middle school band and the trumpet was very loud and shiny and I was just kind of on a very simplistic level allured by that. But on a more, I don't know, if it, maybe this had something to do with it too, is that there was this amazing um, Dominican saxophonist named Mario Rivera who played with my grandfather, uh, my father, um, Cachao, uh, Tito Rodriguez, Ray Santos, everybody. Um, Dizzy played a lot with Dizzy Gillespie. I remember going with my dad to Mario's apartment. Mario had one of Dizzy's horns, and and I and I, I think I must have been five or six, and I put it to my lips, and you know it, it smelled like cigarettes. I don't even remember if I really got a sound out of it, but I think that was my first. I wouldn't even call it formal, but that was my first introduction to the instrument on a physical level.
Mary is somebody that I feel lucky to have met, you know, in the past couple of years. She's really one of the coolest people to hang with and work with, and I've learned a lot from in terms of just her capacity for music and her ability to completely just lock into the to the band and the energy on stage and the music and and not really you never feel like there's anything artificial or external when when you play with her it was cool to do this project because it was the second project i've done of her i play in her other band code girl and this music was completely different from different people and the music uh it was very different different you know bigger scale with the string quartet and the vibes and all that but it was it was cool like it was it was really awesome to be a part of a different side of her and to see how she could work with a different ensemble but really retain who she is and her musical identity while really pushing herself and you know not to overthink it but just to take my experience of having played with her in this other ensemble and think about like okay what have we kind of built already and how do i you know apply that to a setting that has trombone um, vibraphone and strings, like how do I kind of adjust my sound and color and, and approach to, you know, the instrument and everything. And uh, one thing I really love about that band is playing with uh, Jacob Garchik, the trombone player. He's one of the baddest musicians I know, frankly. I don't know, there's something really special about, I guess because I grew up around big bands, there's something really special about playing with other horn players who really understand phrasing and, and have a deep awareness of you know each other as you're playing and Jacob is somebody that like I mean I, I just you know I feel like I'm, I'm in capable hands when I'm playing with him and, and it's just a very I love and I love you know kind of working with somebody like that who, who's had experience playing a lot of different types of music I actually recently have played in his uh, his uh, Mexican banda project where he plays sousaphone and it's like wow this guy can this guy can do anything so playing with him in, in, in Mary's band is really really a highlight
Jen Shu has always been somebody that I have, I mean, I don't even know if look, looking up to is the right way to put it, you know, I mean, and it is the right way to put it, but I mean, just that feels like an understatement. Nobody's really doing what she's doing, you know, beyond just like the cultural sort of boundary pushing that she does, but, but just on pure storytelling level. She, she miraculously gets across her story while uh, retaining an immense mystery to it. It's, it's really inspiring. This was cool. To, I mean, this is really great to be a part of because I had taken a couple of lessons with Jen, I think when I was in college. Again, it kinda, I kind of went into it wanting to understand how she transcended different cultures with her music, but it, it became more about storytelling. And, and that's what really, that's what I've learned the most from her is that no matter what instrument she's playing, whatever, whatever language she's singing in or whatever costume she has on, it always comes down to narrative and, and the message. And, and I think like, that's just such, a, such an essential thing to like witness and, and be a part of. So I was really, really grateful to be a part of that. It's always intimidating filling in for Ambrose uh, Akinmusiri. He's one of my heroes, so I, I just hope I, you know, <laughs> brought brought something to the music and, you know, playing with with Matt Maneri and Thomas Morgan and Dan Weiss. I mean, I played with Dan a lot and a couple of years ago with Rudresh Mahanthapa and his band, and, and I can still think about like the first time I played with Dan and how much like that completely changed the way I look at rhythm and interacting with drummers and 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 so to do that again in a very different context was was really fun
playing at roulette i think the first time i played at roulette must have been with the eco music big band which was uh, started by fred ho you know it's always been a very very essential place not just for me but for many many artists and and audiences so i'm really really grateful to be a part of and contribute to the progressive legacy that they've created and have been putting so much work to maintain and and yeah, for my commission, you know, I, I just, as weird as it sounds, you know, if, you know, I'm only turning 28 in a couple of weeks, but I am planning some stuff that gets a little bit back into some things that I was thinking about maybe like eight, nine years ago musically, um, but also kind of non-musically, certain literature influences and all that. I just recorded two albums. Um, this past year, one of which is the fourth album of my quartet, Stranger Days. And, um, and I also just recorded an album of a brand new octet uh, book of music called Four of These Streets, which uh, was inspired by literature and music of the 1930s. You know, that took a long time and a lot of, a lot of thought and a lot of um, deliberation and, and research and, and all that. I think with this commission, I want to maybe try and get back into a more, I don't know, spontaneous energy and, and just like, you know, uh, maybe a little bit less uh, 
a little bit less epic feeling than some of that that stuff. Um, one, because it you know did take a lot out of me, but also I think just uh, you know it's good to try and remain light and retain light. Farrell has been our focus on this edition of the Roulette Tape, so you can hear more of his work coming up in the next year as he presents his commissioned pieces at Roulette, and that, of course, will always appear in our archive. The Roulette Tapes is an award-winning podcast made possible in part with support from the National Endowment for the Arts and the Grammy Museum. Our executive producer is David Weinstein. For everyone at Roulette, My name is Susan James. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to The Roulette Tapes, a program of adventurous music and conversation. This series is produced by Roulette Intermedium. You can find thousands of concert recordings from Roulette's archives and news of upcoming events at roulette.org.